Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, This is probably going to be one of the shortest sermons I've ever preached. Um, And nothing that we say this morning is going to be new. It's going to be like, you know how trends just keep coming back around? Uh, This is what that's going to be like. Uh, I, I hope nothing that I say this morning is going to be new. Should be similar to stuff that you guys have heard from this pulpit multiple times. Uh, so we're walking through the Gospel of John, uh, or excuse me, not the Gospel of John, First John, letters from John, and when we finish First John, we're going to walk into Second and then Third John. And this morning, we're walking through a passage where John holds a conversation uh, where he is reiterating about the impact of sin on the Christian life. So if you want to turn to First John really quick, it's toward the end of your Bible, um, He's literally saying that, hey, Christians, we're not perfect, we're not sinless, but if we are Christians, we should definitely sin less, right? We should have less sin in our lives because we have more God in our lives, right? And he's going to go into that uh, in very plain language. One of the things I love about John is he just uses very plain language, not like Paul, who's kind of deep and theological. So uh, if you have a Bible open to First uh, John, if you're using the Bibles on the tables, uh, it's page 862. Uh, and we went through the first four verses last week. So if you were not here last week or not watching online, you did not miss a whole lot. And he's going to reiterate some of what we uh, talked about last week. So starting in verse 5, this is what John says. He says, this is the message that we, talking to the church then, but also the church now, have heard from him, Jesus Christ, and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. And we talked about last week how that word fellowship is the word koinonia, And it literally means community. So he's saying, hey, if we claim that we have community and fellowship with God, but we walk in a darkness, we lie. Verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So let me expand on that a little bit, because uh, what he says is God is light. That word light doesn't mean like light bulb, like most of us think. Uh, it's the word Greek word phos, where we get phosphorus, light, and it's that which illuminates. That's what causes something to light up. Uh, and he says that's what God is. God is the light, and it's uh, used synonymously throughout the Bible for goodness and the righteousness of God, when you see it talking about the light of God, right? Now, consequently, the flip side of that is darkness. Darkness uh, is the word Scotia, has nothing to do with the fact that we're on Scotia Hollow Road, right? Scotia, but it means darkness is the absence of light. And biblically, it usually refers to evil. So there is no such thing as uh, darkness existing fully where there is light. Wherever there is light, it wipes out the darkness. 
But here's the thing, though. Darkness is the thing that exists until the light comes and wipes it out. So if you read where God created the heavens and the earth and said, let there be light, light came and wiped out the darkness. Because in this universe, or the way some people phrase it, this universe did not exist until God brought himself and his light into this universe. There was nothing here but darkness, or literally nothing, right? So it's the same way that, uh, not to get too scientific, um, cold exists, but only where there's the absence of heat. If you take away all the heat, all you have is cold. Cold is the thing that's there until you add the heat. So he's talking about light and darkness. God is the light, and anyone uh, who claims to be um, a Christian, um, we should have God's light in us. Now, uh, let me share something, because I know I talk to a lot of people who say, well, there's not a whole lot of darkness in this world. We don't need God. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, we should live life in the light. Our life should reflect the goodness of God, not darkness or the absence of God, right? So when you see Christians out at school, at home, in a restaurant, in a workplace, their lives, the way they're living their lives in public, I am so thrown off because there's like Joe over here and everyone else over here. So I feel like I keep focusing this way, but I don't want Joe to feel like, why is he not talking to me? Okay, sorry. But uh, we should live our lives in such a way so that people see the light in us no matter where we are or what we're doing. And I talk to people every day to say, well, there's no need for you know, all this Christian light blah, blah, because the world is a good place, right? Anyone ever hear that? The world is full of goodness. The world is a good... I am the only one that heard that, okay? But there's only like 17 seven people in the room. But I'm the only one that heard that. But God says that's not the case. God says the flip. He says the world is full of darkness, and I'm going to show you this. Don't judge me. I'm going to show you this. Uh, so there is this thing I get, and I've talked about this before, uh, prayer updates, things to pray for from Open Doors USA, and they work with people in the persecuted church. It's called persecuted church, nations where you're persecuted for being a Christian. So this is the world we live in, and they sent this last week, January 17th. Libya, pray for Christians imprisoned for their faith. In early 2023, six Libyan Christians were arrested for converting from Islam to Christianity. They weren't arrested for hurting other people. They weren't arrested for saying anything bad about other faiths. They weren't arrested for robbing or any crime. They were arrested because they converted from one religion to Christianity. And people say, well, six people, that's not a big deal. But they've been in prison for a year. For a year, just for saying, I'm going to convert from Islam to Christianity. And some people say, well, that's just going on in the religious world. That's not an indication that the world is a dark place. Again, don't judge me for this. I just saw this the other day from the New York Post. Granted, not the most reliable newspaper on the planet. However, they reported that Chinese labs have crafted a mutant COVID-19 strain with a 100% kill rate in humanized mice. So, like, I just got over COVID and felt like I was dying a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some of us, I know I have, lost family members to COVID. This isn't if you get COVID and you're older and you have diseases and you're this and that, you might lose your life. This is we're trying to wipe people out. 
This is the world we live in. The darkness that exists in our world of people trying to hurt, take advantage of, and kill one another is real, which is why John says, hey, we need the light of God to shine in this world, right? Okay, uh, jump down to verse 8, and he says this, if we claim to be without sin, meaning that darkness that's in everyone unless we have the light of God, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness or from all darkness or from all the evil that exists in humanity. If we claim we have not sinned, in other words, we don't have any sin, we don't need, you know, I'm a good person, I do the right thing. If we claim that, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Now, here's the reality, because the gospel is the only thing that can really remove the sin and darkness from our lives and fill us with the light. There is absolutely, positively nothing else on the planet that we can do to remove the darkness and bring the light. The only thing we can do uh, to remove that darkness and evil, and like he just said, unrighteousness, is to share the gospel. Now, here's the thing, because I get people that say this all the time, well, what is the gospel? And uh, we've shared what the gospel is before, so I'm going to share it. And if you've heard it before, like I said, none of this should be new but hopefully you have heard me share this before. So this is what the Apostle Paul writes, and he writes to the church in Corinth to make sure that everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, because some people are like, well, I'm Presbyterian, the gospel should be this. I'm Methodist, the gospel should be this. I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Catholic, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a butcher, baker, candlestick, make. does it matter, this is the gospel. He writes this and he says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Because there were people being persecuted, just like we you know, read the six put in jail, for their faith. And some people were like, persecute me if you want. I stand with Jesus. He said, on which you have taken your stand, <clears throat> excuse me, and by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. So let me make this clear. I just had this conversation with Mark, and we're kind of like on the same page with it, but we know people have different points of views. When you hear the gospel, right, so you're not saved because you repeat a prayer, which is why whenever I share the gospel, I don't say, hey, repeat after me and pray this prayer. That's not going to save you. When you hear the gospel, uh, coming to the front of the altar is not going to save you. I hear pastors all the time, hey, we had 67 people come up to the altar and repeat the prayer with me. I'm like, that's great. That does not mean they are saved. Nowhere is that listed in scripture. It doesn't mean uh, uh, that those people didn't believe it, but a lot of people believe, oh, I sit to the front and I said a prayer. And I had a conversation with Mark. He was talking to a woman and uh, she had like walked away from the church and he asked her, well, did you ever commit your life to Christ? Did you ever hear the gospel? She's like, yeah, I heard it, and I prayed a prayer that the pastor said pray. And his question was, when you prayed that prayer, did you believe it? She was like, no. I, I was never told that was part of the, 
the, the process. I was just told, repeat after me and you'll be saved. And apparently we know that doesn't work. So he says, um, by this gospel, you are saved, right? And this is the gospel. What I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, just as it was prophesied in the Old Testament, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that it was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. That's why we know our faith isn't in vain, because uh, thousands of years ago, someone said, this is going to happen. And then a few thousand years later, it happened. And if you read through the rest of the verses, there were all these eyewitnesses who said, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. And we look back and put our faith in that act that Jesus did to cleanse us of our sins and put us in a right relationship with God. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, and we talked about this in Ephesians, Paul says, and you, when you were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, so when you hear the gospel of your salvation, you believe it, you step across the line of faith, say, I believe this, then we're marked in him with a seal because God then says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you know that you have an eternal inheritance. And I get people that ask me all the time, how do I know if I'm saved? I'm like, if you don't know that the spirit of the living God lives in you, then you might not be saved. But God gives you, it's like when you go to the store, you know how, the self-checkout, not to the, the self-checkout, and they stop you, and they're like, hey, can I see your receipt? And all these people are like, no, 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 I'm like, here, here's my receipt. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I paid for this. I don't want to end up on the news for stealing like ramen or something, and, 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 and in fact, I paid for it. So I keep my receipt out, and even when they're in conversation, hey, hey, pay it is my receipt and my good. I want them to know I paid for it. God does the same thing. He wants us to know we have an eternal inheritance, so he gives us a receipt, uh, his Holy Spirit. All right, drop down to, uh, I don't even know where we're at now. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, if anybody does backslide, if anybody does inadvertently do uh, something that kind of pushes them back towards that darkness, he says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So if we mess up, then Jesus steps up and says, I got you. I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to help you fix this. You don't have to stay in that place of darkness. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus Christ did. Now, this is, this is what he says. He says, if we claim to be Christians, others should see the Christ in our lives, right? If all they see is, if I'm claiming, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm doing every single thing the exact same way, arguing with people, hating on people, blah, 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 like I did before I was a Christian, there was no reason why people should believe I'm a Christian. And I get people all the time that say, well, we don't have to be called Christians and live like Christians. 
Yeah, we do. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. That's where the term come from. So sidebar for a moment. Um, this is how people came to be called Christians. This is why they were called Christians. Back in the book of Acts, chapter 11, it says this. Um, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So for the first 10 to 12 years, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity largely stayed in Jerusalem. Those were the people that saw it. Those were the people that experienced it. There was no Facebook. There was no like NPR. No one was spreading it across international news. It stayed largely in Jerusalem. Then in the book of Acts, when Stephen was killed, persecution started and all of the Christian, and they were mostly Jewish, predominantly Jewish people said, I'm out, I'm leaving. You know what? People are trying to burn my home. They're shutting down my business. I'm going somewhere else. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's what happened. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So before that, uh, the people were only going to like local... Imagine if persecution all of a sudden. Hey, you guys go to Crossroads Community Church, we're going to burn your home, da, 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 da. So people are like, okay, I'm out. Some of us are like, okay, I'm heading to downtown Pittsburgh. Some people are like, I'm heading to West Virginia. Nobody's heading to Ohio because it's not fun there. But we find other places to go and to hang out and to live, right? And that's what they did. They went to Arioch. They began to speak to Greeks and other people and tell them about Jesus and the Lord's hand was with them. But look at this. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch because they were like, wait a second. This is spreading outside of just the Jewish people. Let's go make sure that they're sticking to the word of God. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God was done, he was glad. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So they're like, wait, this thing is spreading. This thing is, is, is going to places we had no idea it was supposed to go to. They sent people to make sure, okay, let's make sure we stick to, you know, specific doctrine. And they were like, oh my, God is like blowing this thing up. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. His running partner, he's like, hey, Saul, you got to come help me. This is much bigger than I can handle. So when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And that is why the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And there were people who will say when they were called Christians, it's, it was a negative name. It wasn't a negative name. What the people who called them Christians said were, hey, we see you doing that same thing, sharing that same message, living that same kind of life that Jesus Christ did, so you're acting like little Christ, so they called them Christians. It doesn't matter if it was intended to be negative or not. Uh, they were doing what Christ did, and that's why they were called Christians. So if we're Christians, people should see the Christ in us no matter where we are, right? Uh, drop down to chapter 2, verse 7. And this, this, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am also writing you 
a new command because for some of them it was new. It's, it's truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Here's that old command that's a new message. Anyone, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Any person, any person who claims to be a Christian but says, but I hate these other folk, he says, you're in the darkness. That's not the light of God in you. That's that dark, unrighteous evil. Anyone who claims to be a Christian but say, I hate them because of the color of their skin. Anyone who claims to be a Christian but says, I hate them because of the way they vote. Anyone who claims to be a Christian says, I hate them for this, that, or the other reason, because of the job they do, because of something they said. It doesn't matter. If we claim to hate them, then we're not showing the light of Christ we're showing the darkness. And John makes this crystal clear, right? Uh, he says Christians should reflect the light of Christ in our lives. Everything that we do should reflect the light of Christ. If we're, if we're going to uh, a restaurant, if we're going to school, if we're going to work, if we're going into the bank, if we're posting something online, if we're talking to people, everything, people should see the light of Christ in us. But he also says this, that we should sin less but we shouldn't claim to be sinless, right? We definitely should sin less. We should be doing less of the dark stuff, more of living in the light, but we should not claim to be perfect because we're not. We're still flawed human beings who need Jesus Christ in our life just like everybody else. And then he says this, but we, if we're Christians, should not hate other people. There is no room in the gospel or in the church to say, I hate other people. There might be a little bit of room during football season because you know those kind of rivalries go around. That's a whole different thing. But that, that, that hate like, I don't want to talk to you or this or you or whatever because of the way you vote or because of the color of your skin or because you come from this nation or because you don't come from this nation, all of that, no room if you're a Christian because our lives should reflect the light of Christ. As the band comes up, I want to share this, this last thing. There are people in our culture today, there are people in our churches today who claim to be Christian, but they don't reflect the light of Christ. That doesn't mean we exclude them from the congregation. This is why people come here. I have pastors that say, well, no, uh, the, the church, your, your Sunday celebrations, those are only for Christians. And my response is, how do you expect people who are not Christians to hear the gospel and to experience the love of Christ if you don't let them in. There are people today who say, yeah, because we're Christians, we're perfect. That is a lie from the pit of hell. We are not perfect. We will not be made perfect, the Bible says, until we get into eternity with Jesus and live in heaven forever. It's a whole other message right there. But over and over, the Bible makes it clear. And the reason that John says this is an old message, because in the book of Leviticus, it says you're not supposed to take advantage of your, and this was God just telling the nation of Israel that he knew would be a forerunner for his plan for humanity. He said, you're not supposed to be a take advantage of your brothers, right? You're not supposed to even hold a grudge against your brothers. And I, I got to be honest, because just this last week, several people holding a grudge against, angry at, 
had to keep praying, God, you need to help me get over this. Uh, and then Jesus comes along and he says this. He says, because in Leviticus, the other part of that verse is you're not supposed to be angry at them. You're not supposed to uh, hold a grudge. You're not supposed to hate them. Uh, you're not supposed to take advantage of them. You're not supposed to get revenge against them because you're supposed to love your neighbor. Jesus comes along thousands of years later and says, yeah, love your neighbor. And the guy says, who is your neighbor? And Jesus says, the people that don't look like you, think like you, act like you, vote like you or believe like you, even those people who you hated previously and thought were your enemy, those are your neighbors and you're supposed to show mercy to them. And then he takes it one step even further. And we'll talk about a little bit more about this when we get to where John talks about love. And Jesus creates a whole new standard of what love is. Because he says, if you're a Christian, the standard of love for you right now is to love one another the way that I have loved you. If you're not doing that, you're falling short. If you're not doing that, you're not reflecting the light of Christ. Amen, God. We are so grateful that you showed and shared the light of your goodness with all humanity. And God, we pray that we can share that light with others and bring that light to this very dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen.